Yes, I think you've caught on. Our midweek services have a clear theme. God is calling us home. Right? You got it. The theme is God is calling us home. And tonight, we're going to focus on the fact that as we journey through this life, the eternal goal that we have is to be with Jesus in heaven forever. But as we make our way in this journey, more and more, we come to depend upon the promises of God's grace. Because it's only by the grace of God that we will be brought through the trials and tribulations that will plague us on this journey until we find our rest in the hands of a loving God. God is calling us home. Sometimes in life we hear that loud and clear. Other times, probably most times, that call seems distant. It's someplace off in the future. Oh, I still know about it. I still kind of hear echoes of it, but it's not real. Since we hear God's call, we know there's a goal before us. We know that there's a goal that we're going to reach in the future. And St. Peter reminds us tonight in our reading that that goal is the salvation of your souls. Now that word salvation is, is a church term. It's one of those terms that we throw around a lot, but maybe we're not quite sure what it means. Salvation simply means being rescued. It means being brought safely home. It means being saved. One day, church services and hearing that call are going to come to an end. Through faith, we know that Jesus rescues us. Through faith, we know that, that Jesus saves us. We know that one day we'll safely arrive home. So we might ask, are we there yet, Dad? The answer is, nope, kids, we're not. We're still on the journey. We still have a way to go. And Peter helps us think of these days that still lie before us as days of grace or, or times of grace. Times of grace simply mean that we need all the help, all the grace that we can get from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. If we're going to arrive safely, we're only going to arrive by the grace of God. So to make it to the end of the journey, we need his grace. In other words, we're going to be graced toward glory. To arrive safely home, we need all the grace we can get. Grace is God's favor. God gave us his favor. He looks favorably upon us. He loves us continually because of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is the opposite of works. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to achieve it. We can't do anything to buy it. We simply receive it by God's love. Grace is really an amazing topic. Uh, last fall, the Connect Bible Study Group spent 10 weeks here at St. Mark's studying the topic, what's so amazing about grace? And each week it was driven home that only by God's grace do we make it to the end. St. Peter uses the word grace again and again. I don't know if you can remember back to all the readings over the last six weeks. But in chapter 1, verse 2, he starts off the epistle by saying, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
That means grace times grace, abundance of grace. We were told that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the grace that you and I have received. We're told that, that God's favor is wrapped up in his grace, his, his unmerited love for us. And that grace of God became manifest, became visible, became obvious to all of us when we looked at Jesus Christ. When we face suffering, God will bring it through us because of his grace, because he surrounds us with his grace. Tonight we were told that God gives us the grace to be humbled. And Peter concludes the epistle by calling attention to the God of all grace. So Peter's pretty big on grace. Through Jesus Christ, he says, we have received all the grace that God has for us. And it's that grace that's going to bring us through this time of grace until our appointed time of glory. In the reading tonight, there are, there are four qualities for you and for me to develop as we are graced toward glory. It's, uh, these characteristics are things we can pray God for to help us understand them and to receive them. The first of these is humility. God shows his favor upon the humble, Peter says. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Peter is saying, humble yourself before God. Don't put on airs and don't boast and puff yourself up, but humble yourself so that at the appropriate time, God can lift you up and he'll boast upon you to his heavenly Father at the time of glory. Now, the world we live in doesn't consider humility to be something to be very sophisticated. St. Peter himself always struggled with humility. When Jesus predicted that his disciples would leave him, Jesus stood up and boasted that he would never leave you, Jesus. And we know how well that worked out for him. But there were other times when Peter was humbly dependent upon Jesus. When many people began to leave, when the, the group of disciples, the larger group of disciples began to diminish, Jesus said to them, or Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so in regards to developing this characteristic of humility, we pray, Heavenly Father, give us your grace so that we may see ourselves as you see us, sinners more than we know, but graced toward eternal glory more and more than we can ever imagine. Second, our text says, a characteristic we need to develop is, is the ability to cast all of our anxieties on him. I have some anxieties. I don't know if you do, but I know I have some anxieties. There are things I get anxious about. The world doesn't encourage us to, to admit our weaknesses and our worries. It doesn't encourage us to bring what's on our heart to our Lord in prayer. Peter struggled with prayer. Remember when they went into Gethsemane when Jesus was praying that somehow God would find a way to relieve this burden from him? Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him. But they had just eaten a big meal, and they were tired, and they fell asleep. Like Peter, like the disciples, for us often, the spirit is indeed willing but the flesh is too weak. 
And so we would pray in this, Father, grace us with a spirit of unceasing prayer so that every anxiety we face prompts us to pray to you. Third, our reading warns us that we are to be sober-minded and watchful. You know, kind of being vigilant, being on the alert, looking out for danger. And what is that danger? Peter says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. That's quite an interesting picture, isn't it? Of a lion roaring, roaring in, the, in the dark, and, and you're out, kind of out there in the wilderness, you're out there on the, on the plains, and, and you hear a lion roaring, and creeping up on you, and you can't see him, but you know he can sense where you are. Kind of a creepy feeling. That's the picture that Peter uses. That's how Satan is in your life. He's, he's stalking you. He's waiting to pounce when you have the chance. Now again, in our society, we're told that the devil doesn't exist. It's probably the myth that Satan wants to spread. But Peter knew that the devil was insidiously real. Early in Jesus' ministry in the eighth chapter of Mark, there's a, there's a troubling interchange between Jesus and Peter. Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for what his ministry is going to lead to. And so Jesus told them that the time would be coming when he would be arrested and he would have to suffer and die. And Peter, you know, impetuous Peter, takes Jesus aside. And he said to Jesus, and the Bible says that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Probably went like this. Jesus, don't get that negative talk. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. And Mark records this. Jesus turned on Peter, turned on him, and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Could you imagine I must have struck the heart of Peter? He thought he was trying to be nice to his friend Jesus. And Jesus said, you're being a Satan. But we all have those satanic attacks in our life. When we are somehow tempted or led astray and, and try to be pried away from God simply by saying, take it easy, don't be so radical, it all, it's all going to work out. You don't have to depend on Jesus, you can do it on your own. Don't worry about it. And in those situations, we pray, Father, help us to know that Satan means deadly woe. Give us the grace to resist him so that we soon will be, arrive safely in glory. The fourth characteristic flows from that last one. Resist the devil, devil firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's kind of a, it, it runs counter to our sense of, of American individualism. American individualism says we have to focus on the individual, that what's really important is me, myself, and I. And if they're lucky, maybe my family. But the reality is, I am not the center of the universe. And I hate to tell you, but neither are you. You see, we come together here in this place, and it reminds us 
that we are together, that we are the church, that we are members of the body of Christ. As Peter described it earlier, we're like living stones that have been picked up by our Lord and, and piled together and, and kept together for strength and support. We're journeying toward salvation together. And God is going to use each and every one of us to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. That's the way he uses his grace to move us towards glory. But Peter carried it one step further. When Peter was writing this epistle, he was probably in Rome. But his mind was on the whole Christian church, and especially he was thinking of this struggling small churches in Asia Minor, the country we know as Turkey, where the brothers and sisters in the faith were being shunned and slandered and abused for following Jesus. And so Peter said, even as you journey with those kinds of difficulties, be reminded that there are others on the journey with you. The whole Christian church on earth who is founded on Jesus Christ like you are, who receives the same spirit you do. And so we pray for grace saying, Heavenly Father, grace us with this sense of a wide, worldwide church that we might share its joys and sufferings as we journey towards glory. Next week is Holy Week. Starts on Sunday with Palm Sunday, moves through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. And in that period of time, we read again the whole passion story. Recently, I read a Lenten devotion that kind of captured the idea of, of God's uh, expanding, exploding sense of grace as we are graced towards glory. It tells us how this happened. The writer of this devotion noted, asked the reader to think about everything that comes in a container. A container can be a plastic bag, a bottle, a can, a cardboard box, a, a glass jar, a crate, a barrel, all kinds of containers. Containers come in a huge variety of shapes and sizes. And then the, the devotion asks the question, is there a container big enough to hold God? And the answer is, is, of course not. Who could think of a box that you could build and put God into? But then the, the devotion said, yes, there is. Yes, there was. You see, 2,000 years ago, <clears throat> based on his love, God chose to leave the infinite, eternal reaches of heaven and he chose to come into our time and space in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And during Jesus' life, there were two very important places, where, times when he was contained. And we confess them in the Apostles' Creed, right? We say that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and that he suffered and died and rose again. So for nine months, Jesus was contained in the womb of his earthly mother before he came forth as a child. And at the end of his life, for three days, he was confined in a tomb. Confined at his human birth and again at his human death. But neither one of those containers could hold him. Just like for us, Lenten darkness leads to Easter joy. 
Never again will Christ be contained. Never again will he be placed in a box. Never again could he even be contained within the walls of a church building. You see, he came to save the entire world. Yet there are many in this world who do not know of the loving, forgiving, powerful, wonderful action of God. Many don't know. Many have never heard. And in this Lenten season, as we talk about journeying, being called towards our heavenly home, we are reminded that the message of this God who came in Christ, this God who came with grace, is a message that he entrusted to us with the task of sharing that good news. That's our task as we journey towards glory. So we dare not let Jesus be contained. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Do not be afraid. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There is nothing hidden that will be made not be made known. What I tell you in dark, speak out in the daylight. What I whisper in your ear, proclaim it from the roof. That's our task. We hear again that passion story, knowing how it ends. We know that that glory is going to break forth from the tomb three days later. And that's our life, really. You see, when we were baptized into Jesus Christ, we are told that we were baptized into his death. And that as he was raised from the dead, so we too have been raised to a newness of life. Each day we can arise, and the first thing we can say in the morning is, Lord, as I come awake again this morning, reminds me that I've been raised to newness of life. I've been graced to make my way on this way toward glory. I've been graced with your power and with your glory and with your story to share and tell of good news. In the introduction to the Ash Wednesday sermon some six weeks ago that began the series, I told you about my mother's favorite hymn. My mother was 95 years old and in failing health at the time, but she maintained for all the years that I can remember asking the question, what's your favorite hymn, mother? And her favorite hymn was always this. It's not even in the green hymn book. I checked it this morning. It comes from the old Lutheran hymn book. The hymn is, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. And I said, but why do you always talk about looking forward to heaven when you're involved in so much ministry in your life here? And she said, yes, I really love to serve Jesus here, but I can't wait until it's time to serve him in heaven. Last Thursday night, Jesus answered that prayer and took my mother to be with him in heaven. Her death brought to my mind uh, a devotion written by a former uh, mentor of mine, uh, when I did my vicarage, my internship in Southern California, the district president at that time was a member of the congregation, a, a man by the name of Reverend Arnold Kuntz. And uh, Arnie Kuntz wrote hundreds of devotional books, and I remember reading one, and he said this, he said, life narrows down, and when crisis comes, suddenly only one thing matters. There, in that narrow space, stands Jesus. The years of your life, the psalmist says, are 70, or even by strength, 
80. Yet that span will be toil and trouble. Those days will soon be gone and fly away. That's the life we live, filled with challenges, health problems, financial loss, the passing of loved ones, ultimately the approach of your own death. At that point, I learned again, life narrows down and death gets very personal. Lent is about reorienting our thoughts through repentance to Jesus. Jesus said, only one thing is necessary. Ernie Kuntz said it this way, life narrows down. Suddenly only one thing matters, and there in that narrow place stands Jesus. God is calling all of us home. And on the way, we are given every gracious gift of God to empower us along the way. We are being graced all the way to glory. And all along the way, Jesus stands there, showering us with mercy and love, covering us with grace, and beckoning us on to the final end. Come on, keep coming. I'm gracing you all the way home. And as Peter's epistle ends, to him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed calling us home. And as you have been faithful to us through all of our days, we know that you will continue to be with us, to support us, to strengthen us, to uphold us, to lift us when we stumble, to praise us when we do well. It's all part of your undeserved love for us. It's God in action, giving us grace, enabling us to be the people that he wants us to be. So Lord, as we make our way home, may our eyes constantly be focused on you. And in prayer, may we be strengthened always by the assurance of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.